Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Welcome back to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel Troop. And I'm Daryl. And I'm Sandra. And today we're going to have a conversation about writing. But uh, we're going to talk about why we write. And before I do that, I just want to thank our composer, Alexander Nakarada, who wrote uh, our intro. Uh, and uh, I'd like to clarify, uh, in the last podcast, we talked about uh, the writing differences between young adults and mature adults. Uh, please don't get this confused. Mature adults, in this case, just means people who are full-fledged adults like myself, my father, my mother. Uh, nothing uh, related to sexuality, which I understand some of our listeners were concerned because there are some cultural um, you know, differences, uh, which sometimes I fail to understand. Uh, to, so you know, the writing system really started uh, in 3,400 to 3,300 BCE in uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, and this is sort of modern-day Iraq, okay? And this is where people began sort of stamping symbols into clay, and this was called uh, uh, cuneiform. Uh, now, other humans uh, began substituting these pictures uh, with sounds of a Sumerian, and this is from the Sumar in southern Mesopotamia. Uh, 3200 BCE in Egypt to 1300 was a fully functioning writing system, and we talked about this uh, sort of where writing came from in the last uh, podcast, and this came out of China. And 900 to 600 BCE, writing appears in Mesoamerica. So the question is, uh, as we posed in our very first podcast, why do we write? Not necessarily creatively, but just in general, what sort of compels us to write? We have this driven, innate need to communicate and express and share. And why do you think that is, uh, Daryl? You know, I, I think not only do we have those needs, but human beings want to leave a legacy. They want to let other people know that they were actually there. Mm -hmm. It's almost like uh, they, they uh, strangers and soldiers did in World War II when they wrote Kilroy was here. They just uh, wanted to let people know they were there. And they kind of did that way back in Egypt when they were building the, the pyramids. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the workers or the, or the slaves who built uh, the pyramids wrote on the inside. They wrote their names just to let people know that we were here, we existed. And so humans write for historical purposes. They want to document events. Mm -hmm. They want to preserve cultural heritage and provide future generations with insights into the past. I think, I think writing helps capture our collective memory mm -hmm. and uh, allows uh, us to learn from, uh, from history. And, and Sandra, when you were writing uh, How Nicholas Became Santa Claus, you write with a lot of emotion. You write with a lot of feeling. And would you say that, uh, you know, humans sort of are driven to write for that reason? We sort of capture thoughts and emotions and expressions, right? Yes, and also it helps to get rid of anxiety and it helps, helps to, to share experiences to pass on your traditions mm -hmm. to make sh try to make sure that people who haven't done what you've done or have had experiences similar to you don't repeat mistakes that you have made. Oh, that's history, right? But to pass on mm -hmm. the ability to teach adaptation. You know, and, and when you think about it, what she just said is so true because uh, people that don't know their history 
are bound to bound repeat, repeat it. it. Yes, yes. So, and the simplest way to record something, and at one time the only way to record something was to chisel it in stone or write it on right. papyrus or or paper, and that's what's been done for centuries. Yes, yes. She's absolutely right. They found throughout history mm-hmm. that oral history can be changed because somebody yes. doesn't remember it correctly. And so putting it down on paper or stone or leather or papyrus or chiseling into glass yes. or whatever kept it the same. You know, there, there are a lot of societies that rose mm-hmm. uh, throughout the centuries who had an oral history. Yes. And uh, I suppose that was the best and the only way they could could have done it before they had writing. But I think it is susceptible to change when yeah. you filter yeah. stories through human brains. And anybody can recall that if they've ever played the game of telephone. Yes. You, know, uh-huh. you have 20 people lined up and you start a story at the beginning. By the time it gets to the end, it's unrecognizable yeah, to the uh, first know, person who uh, heard it. Which is, and it's interesting to say that because I was watching uh, an ANOVA episode on memory and they were saying that, uh, you know, the memory, uh, while it is solidified, the moment you begin to remember it, uh, it becomes this sort of changeable thing. <laughs> right. So it's it's really not something you can necessarily, uh, you know... You can't stabilize right. it like, uh, like a tape testimony, recording. Yeah. so to speak. It's interesting because there is a, a philosophy, I think it's in India, don't quote me on this, but there's a religious text... You know, Catholics have the Pope. You know, we have our you know religious figure, our Vicar of Christ, who who we sort of refer to uh, to, to understand how our religions are working. And the, but this philosophy has a book, because the book itself is considered to be infallible it, because it doesn't change. It is what it is. It was written down, and it can't be changed. And it's sort of that sort of idea is writing things down, whether you're carving them in stone or in some religious text sort of keeps things constant. Yeah, when, when, you, when you think of it, you just made me think of some other uh, 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 types of writing, like writing music, for instance. Yes. You know, if you actually write music, uh, which is exemplified by a lot of the classic pieces, they, they sound now like they sounded then. Yes. But when you think about something like jazz, which might not be written down, right? You know, it's going to be different every time. Every time, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure there's jazz out there that's been written down, but I I, I think uh, uh, they become uh, um, extemporaneous with it, and it it changes. Oh, true, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same for you know recipes. As a chef, I'm dependent on you know, recipes to be written down, uh, especially particularly if you're doing baking. Uh, recipes are specific, very specific to you know how they're done, and if you vary or you change things, then you change the outcome. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right. but you don't get what you you would you started out for. Right. You might get you might actually come up with a new recipe, and that's not a bad thing. That's, I guess they call it nature did that. They call it evolution. Right. So, but sometimes you want things to be stable. You want the sun always to rise up in the east and set down in the west. Right. You don't want to decide it's going to rise from the totally. south and, and right. set in the north. <laughs> and, and you know we talked about uh, you know we talked about writing for historical purposes. Well, but what about entertainment purposes? What, what how do how does writing contribute to entertaining? Well, it's it's something that you can use to break a mood to 
involved to, to yeah you you invoke these uh, imaginative worlds you know and captivating stories right right mm -hmm. yeah. compelling characters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right it allows for authors and readers uh, it, it, it kind of transports us to different realms and evoking emotion and right providing escape from reality yeah you know I know I know yeah. people who they don't use drugs. They don't use alcohol or any of that, and it's admirable right. uh, that they don't abuse those things. But I know some people who are always in the movies. Right. You know that's their escape. And, and again, yeah, it's that, that's that's that escapism we right, talked about exactly. in our last podcast. Being able to you know, delve into these worlds that have been created and sort of live there, but for a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so how does how does storytelling itself play a role in human culture? Well, you know what? We always told stories, I think. Uh, when, when the caveman had his family and his uh, neighbors uh, uh, sitting around the fire, that was, that was television for them. Right. And, and they, they, uh, uh, they, they, it was captioned, the fire was captioned by their stories about uh, the big hunt, the thing they missed, you know, or the big war that they had. So I think storytelling is really an integral part of human culture. It, it is. It tells you who, what, where, how. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it conveys and our values, right? Every, and you, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, you know. And then it's up to the person that's listening or reading to decide how they're going to incorporate it. And mm -hmm. are what are they going to do with the who, what, where, then, and how? And I, I think so far back, and I'm going to use their example again, is, you know, the caveman... Uh, uh, this is how they conveyed their values and traditions to right. to the younger uh, 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 folks in the clan and to others too, right? right so okay. It's really a way to uh, educate them, right? Mm -hmm. But also to contribute to personal expression because uh, when you read, for instance, how Nicholas became Santa Claus, mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of your personal expression is put in through these characters, how they interact with each other, yes, it what is what they get from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the emotion, the love, the knowledge that's conveyed to other characters. The it's, interdependence. It's that same way. Uh, you look at the wa the love between, say, uh, Wallace and his wife, Marina. or right, or or Nicholas and uh, the other characters. This this camaraderie you have, I think that's all conveyed, mm -hmm. uh, and it's sort of it's 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 bringing across that personal feeling, and in a sense, it's kind of kind of your ideals too i suppose you know and I, I was just thinking some of the 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 greatest thoughts came through uh writing just for entertainment if you think of all of the quotes and things that came from shakespeare for instance yes. the things that we take for granted yes and uh yeah. they were all in some of his plays right right you know and then, you know to thy own self be true right we say that uh, to, for people to be honest about themselves but that was exemplified in, in, in one of his plays, too. And, and, you know, and Nicholas is, it's sort of a historical fiction in that it's based very loosely on some uh, era that, you know, we're familiar with, kings and queens and castles mm -hmm. and this and such. And while we don't specifically mention when or where in terms of, like, the inspirations, I guess, uh, how does... Um, what motivates authors to write historical fiction? Well, you know what? We, we write, sometimes we write history 
because that's the way it is. And sometimes we write historical fiction uh, because we, the way we want it to be. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. And, and we, we, it's, it's always the what ifs. What if yeah. this happened? Right, yes. You know? and, and what if that happened instead? Yes. How yes. would that be different? You know? And it, it makes me think of one of my uh, favorite genres uh, in science fiction, which is uh, the time paradox or the time yes. story. Uh-huh. When you go back in time and you change something. You know, uh, suppose uh, suppose uh, 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 Stalin's parents had never met right. before, yes. then we wouldn't have had him. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and perhaps the world would have been different. Suppose uh, 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 Oswald's parents, you know, had 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 never met. Then, what would it have been like to have a, a four four years and another four years of JFK? Right. You know, yeah. we don't know. You know, and you can write that as a what if, mm-hmm. as as a story, right? So, how does and we talked to them about this earlier because we were talking about cultures. So how does how does writing preserve cultural heritage? It passes down traditions. It passes down. You do this, this, and this in order to accomplish this. And if you do that, and then you teach your children this, this, and this to accomplish this, then you're carrying that through. Mm-hmm. It really allows uh, individuals to express their thoughts and emotions and unique perspectives. So it's a little bit of that some sort of conveying that personal expression. Sometimes but, it, 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 it does do that. It allows for the creation of, or an outlet for self-reflection. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes self-discovery, personal growth, all that. Mm-hmm. So, so then when it comes to spreading knowledge, how does, this, how does writing affect the dissemination of knowledge? Well, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it made me think of, uh, uh, what was that uh, movie, Galaxy Quest? Yes, yes. When that, when that, yes. when that, when that alien said, we, uh, we've he- or read or seen your historical seen your documents. Historical records, yes. Yeah, and, and they thought this is the way history was on uh-huh. Earth, the way it was in the television programs right. that they received, you know, uh, by radio waves. Uh, people get impressions about uh, uh, others and themselves by by what we write. Uh, some things are accurate, some aren't. Um, I suppose that uh, since we've been broadcasting uh, radio waves for uh, the last uh, a little over a hundred years right now, you wonder who's in that bubble uh, of radiation out there receiving uh, any messages and getting impressions from mm-hmm. uh, these people back here on Earth again. But then that's just my imagination working, I guess, again. Right. And that dissemination uh-huh. of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, this idea that, uh, you know, whether they're true or false or they're sort of this imaginations that people write down, uh, proliferate. And I think of, you know, like Gene Roddenberry, right? Mm-hmm. I think of like the Star Trek series, Star Wars, science fiction, you know, and uh, how does that writing of science fiction genre contribute to the understanding of technology because it seems sometimes that we get a lot of our technology from science fiction so i i wonder sometimes how sort of the sort of this mutual relationship with you know mankind and science fiction and i i think i've mentioned this before that there are a lot of scientists and physicists who also write uh, science fiction too many of them are, are are fans of that as well yes and I think science fiction writers are, are get their inspiration from from real physics, 
so uh, just, and I've mentioned this before, uh, that Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote uh, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, I think that's his, uh, one of the books that most people are familiar with. Yes, yes. And the yeah, movie. Uh-huh. Was a physicist. Yes. And as a matter of fact, he is uh, one of the, the primary, he was a futurist. And he was one of the, the primary uh, persons. He was the person to come up with the idea about, for instance, geocentric satellites. Uh-huh. You know, and th- then it was just an idea. But that science fiction that we could communicate all around the world at one time was from just an idea that right. he had. And somebody saw that. Other people saw that. And they put that into work. Mm-hmm. You know, they put mm-hmm. that into action. Uh, there, there are many things like that, examples of that, you know, um, where uh, science fiction turned into science fact. And, 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 and we discussed sort of, um, you know, writing, uh, humans writing because we want to sort of warn about the what ifs, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes we're hopeful about the what ifs. We have these sort of speculative, you know, uh, writing. Right. And this is, you know, what we think might happen in the future. Uh, you know, futurists, as you were talking about. Um, and um, so the question becomes, what are some of the key considerations when writing a speculative uh, fiction? When you want to write about things that might happen in the future and things that could be advanced in technologies and this and that. For instance, uh, James Cameron is supposed to be writing a new uh, Terminator movie based off of AI. And I suppose while that is science fiction, you can also consider it maybe speculative science fiction. Mm-hmm. It could be, yeah. Could be. Uh, um, you know, I, you made me think uh, of um, uh, a futurist that lived, oh, she was almost 300 years ago, mm-hmm. and Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Yes. Uh, she wrote uh-huh. a, a book called The Last Man, and it was set 300 years uh, uh in, in her future, which would have put it right about now. If you ever want to see what somebody so far in the past thought about what the future was going to be like, you should really take a look at that. Right. You know, I, I looked at the book just to see if she predicted cars or anything like that. She, she didn't. <laughs> right. You know, and people were still driving buggies and horses, but it was set in the 20th century. Right. You know, so from 1700s when she wrote 17, 18, 19, 20. And it was just interesting to see. Uh, what was true and what wasn't true, and and what at least what people thought was going to right. be true in the future. You know, and I think it's interesting you say that. I think it's kind of limited because I think about Mary Shelley thinking about what cars might be in the twentieth century, but I think we are also we ended up being limited by, you know, science in mm-hmm. that you can only imagine so far. Mm-hmm. You know, you know? The, the the effects of uh, of uh, the physics of electricity back then. Um, and, and the newly discovered uh, uh, ideas about it and what it could do, like Galvan, who uh, uh, would put electricity to the, the legs of a frog and see it jump. Well, I think that was that may have been even some of her inspiration that electricity was going to be, I guess, like a guide and was going to you were going to be able to bring people back to life and all this. So she wrote Frankenstein, you know, and so. Uh, it, it is like uh, I mentioned before when H.G. Wells wrote uh, his story. I, I think it was in early 1900, 1913, somewhere around there, uh, 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 about uh, uh, the world set free. Uh, and it was about atomic weaponry, which wasn't an ad- idea at all. Einstein hadn't even re- read or, or wrote his treatises 
on relativity until on, on 1915. So, and then, hence, in the years hence, you know, that thing actually came true. We, right. His was very interesting, though, because his was a weapon that once you exploded, it would never stop. Right. And it was right. sort of like getting the sun started. But that was kind of predictive of atomic weaponry. And uh, even back then. You know what I predict? And there was no physics for that. You know what I predict? I predict that our readers will be electrified, will find new discoveries in your book, How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. And if you want to find these new discoveries, if you want to be electrified, you can check out our website at truebooks.com, where you can find the author page that takes you to Ewing's Publishing, where you can get a soft cover or a hard cover. You can see us on Facebook at Troop Books, Instagram at Troop Books, a TikTok at Troop Books, and I'll talk with you next time on Conversations with the authors. Thank you.